I know that today that uh, we have heard a lot about discipleship. The men are talking about it. The ladies are talking about it. We are working through what it means to be a disciple of Christ. We just finished up a series on the um, cultivating the fruit of the Spirit, what that looks like biblically, defining things according to God's Word so that we may be able to follow Him truthfully as His disciples. You know, one of the things I want to say here just real quick um, is this. You know, if you're a visitor um, or if you've been here a long time, you may have noticed there's a lot of children in here. And that would seem that worshiping here today, that kids are learning, they're squirming, they're figuring things out, they're learning the repetitions, they're singing the psalms, they're hearing God's word. And yes, we're going to stretch their frames just a little bit. But that is discipleship. We should rejoice when we hear the sounds of the covenant. When a baby cries out, a small child makes some noise or drops something, that should cause us to have a heart full of joy for God's faithfulness to His people. And that is truly discipleship here as a church. And as parents, I know sometimes you walk away saying, I know we preached something, but I'm not sure what it was because I was tending to my little one, or in some cases, many little ones. It is still a good thing, and God is at work. Remember, His Word never comes back void. Let us ask God to bless the preaching of His Word. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before You. We ask You, O Lord, to help us to hear Your Word. Help us to hear it, that we may be able to fulfill being your disciples by doing and living your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, reads like this. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Have you ever wondered or contemplated why God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword? How do you use a sword? How do you learn to use a sword? Well, hopefully somebody else that knows how to use a sword comes along and says, here, come with me. Sounds of the covenant right there. But somebody comes alongside of you and says, here, this is how you do this. Otherwise, we're awkward. It's too heavy. It's like a big broadsword. You hold it up and it's dangling all over the place and you, you just hack at things. We need to understand that God's word is powerful, that we need to be taught, we need to be instructed, we need to hear God's word. In the South, what I mean, the American South, nearly every man, boy, and then many times women have knives in their pockets. Okay, right now, even in my dress clothes, 
I've got my pocket knife right here. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I had to learn how to use this. And you know what happens? Your little boys, your sons, they come up to dad and they say, Dad, I, I want a knife. And dad takes pause. Hmm. And mom <laughs> looks down at that four or five-year-old and says, I don't think so, not yet. They need maturity. They need to grow. They need to be instructed in how to use it. You know, in order to mature, this requires listening, being instructed, and then guided until a person is mature on their own. A knife takes time. How much more a sword? When we consider this, we need to be thinking about God's Word as a tool. But you can't just pick it up and use it well. You may have even seen, you may have even seen some movies where people are doing it. You're like, wow, that's amazing. How many movies did you go to as a kid, particularly you men, and you came out and you found whatever you could so that you could have a sword? And for those who try to keep their kids from playing with swords, just put them in the outside where there are sticks, right? It's our nature to want to have adventure, to use a sword and to do it well, and to be the champion. I want us to recognize that we need to hear God's word, we need to be taught God's word, we need to talk with one another with God's Word. We need to sing with one another God's Word. And we do that in here, but it shouldn't just be in the church. It's the place to start. It's the launching place. This worship service is the launching place for your Christian life. But this is not the only place that you should hear the Word of God. If we were going to point to the place where we are commanded to make disciples, we would look at Matthew 28. And we would begin with verse 18, and it says this, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And remember, what happens right after he finishes this speech? What happens? He is ascended up into the presence of God, where he is, Jesus is set at the right hand of the Father in the place of authority. So he is not only speaking something as if it's wishful thinking that it will be, but in just a few moments, I mean literally moments from this speech that he gives, these final instructions, he ascends to the right hand of the Father and he is Lord over all. Every aspect of our life, every molecule, every piece of dirt, every highway, every car, every Jesus is Lord of those things. And he has called us to take dominion of it, to be responsible, to be mature with it. He desires that we grow into maturity, that we may rule and take dominion. But he doesn't just leave it there. He says, go therefore, make disciples of the nations. Now, a lot of times when you're talking about evangelism and reaching the lost and doing missions, People stop right there. Go and make disciples of the nations. 
But it doesn't end there. It then says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do that today. We have four folks that are going to get baptized. And that's wonderful. And sometimes people think that's it. Whether we baptize babies, or we baptize young people, or we baptize older folks, we think, okay, we're, we're going to make disciples, we're going to baptize them. Right? But what does it mean to make disciples? Well, the first step is baptize them. But the second thing is this. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So it isn't just about coming to a place where we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and we want to be baptized and we want to be a Christian, but we are to be taught and instructed and hear God's word what? In what way? All that God has commanded. And it isn't just Jesus' words. It isn't just what's in your Bible. Maybe you have a red letter edition, so it isn't just the words of Jesus that are read. But remember, He is part of the triune God. So all of God's words, all of His directions, we need to learn them. We need to hear them. We need to sing them. Not just in here, in our daily lives, in our families, and in Christian community. But again, he doesn't just leave it right there. At the very end, he starts with authority, and he tells us to make disciples, baptize, and teach all that I have commanded. And then he ends in authority, and he says this, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So first of all, there's assurance for each one of us that Jesus has promised to his people to be with him to the very end. But there is also an understanding that he has told us to do something and he has promised to be with us while we do it. A lot of times we feel inadequate. I don't know God's word well enough. I can't counsel somebody. I can't give them God's word. I can't disciple them. I, I, I can't. Well, you're called to hear, listen, and then tell others. But in your inadequacy, in your weakness, God is strong. And He promises to be with you. By the way, the work of transforming someone's heart has nothing to do with how eloquent your words are. It is the Spirit of God. We should pray, we should follow the directions that God gives us in His Word, but it is God who transforms the hearts and minds of people. So if Jesus promises to be with us to the very end, we don't have to worry. Be diligent, be faithful in front of you, but if you don't feel like you can handle it, that's great because you can't. Only God can change a man's heart and change their mind. He is the one that creates true humanity by taking away a heart of stone and giving it a heart of flesh. We are blessed that we serve the living God. More than that, our triune God speaks to us. God is a person and He created us as persons. We have an absolutely real relationship with God. God speaks. We need to hear 
His Word. God has been speaking from creation. In Genesis 1, God speaks ten times. He speaks and things change. He takes emptiness and voids and transforms it into life. Adam and Eve were created as babies, needing to learn to grow up into wisdom, which produces maturity. You know, today in our epistle reading, we, we heard out of Hebrews chapter 5, where it was talking about Jesus came up into perfection. That seems odd. Why would we say that? Because wasn't he perfect already? Wasn't he the Son of God? Didn't he never sin? He didn't like was sinning and then stopped sinning, and that made him perfect. That word perfect could be better translated into maturity. We're going to talk about that a little more later, but I want to make that connection right now. God has called us out as his people. He have, if you've confessed your sins, he has justified you. Sanctification is growing in maturity. That's what he's calling all of us to do right now. We need to grow into maturity, into who God wants us to be. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we look behind us and we say, man, look at the wreck I've made of my life. Look at the sins I've committed. Let, let me look at all of that. And we don't believe that Jesus forgives us. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Believe it, and then grow to maturity. But again, Adam and Eve, they, they, were, they were made and they were babies mentally in immaturity. The sin of covetousness came into the garden. The issue, of course, they coveted. They, they, first they believed the lie, did God really say, right? So listen, they... Adam heard God say, don't eat of that tree. Adam told Eve, right? It was his responsibility to, to watch out for Eve. She knew. And what did, what did Satan do? He came in and said, did God really say this? Is this his word? And then, by the way, if you, if you are going to be like God, if you're going to come to maturity, if you're going to come to rule, you need to go ahead and eat that fruit. The real sin there was that they ate the fruit prematurely. Right? God put all of these trees, fruits, and nuts all in the garden. And why did he make it easy? All they had to do to eat was what? Go out and just take it off the tree and eat. Because they didn't know how to cultivate things. They didn't know how to sow seed. They didn't know how to make bread. They didn't know how to make wine. God made it easy. He brought a river right through the garden. There's the water. He put fruit trees all around. It says, eat these. You're going to grow. Don't eat from that one tree right there. What two trees were there besides the food? Tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, oftentimes when we look at this, we see the tree of good and evil. We see this word good as something ethical. But this word good in the tree of good and evil is more than just ethical or ethics. It is, think about this, if you look at this word, tob, this Hebrew word here, it is 
excellent. The word means excellent, appropriate, better, by comparison, benefit, prosperous, agreeable to the senses, understanding. Really, this good, it does include ethics, right and wrong, but it includes all of this. What are those things? How, how, what would we call a person that understands what is excellent, what is appropriate, what is better by comparison, what is prosperous, and who can tell what is agreeable to the senses, who has understanding? We would call that someone who is mature, someone who is full of wisdom. It was God's desire to teach and it was for them to wait for the right time to be taught and instructed into maturity. How were they going to do that? They were going to need to hear God's word. They were going to need to be instructed in wisdom. Very interesting. If you want to contrast, so good, we talked about evil. It looks like this. That word ra means bad, disagreeable, malignant, unpleasant. Evil, as in giving pain and unhappiness, misery, displeasing. Worse than, or worse, it's a comparison. Again, even the evil is about evaluation. How do we evaluate things? How do we determine things? It is by maturity, which comes through wisdom, which comes from God and His fixed point of truth. Again, this sin of coveting brought Adam and Eve to this place where they ate the fruit before it was time. They were made in God's image. They were actually told they were going to be rulers. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have, what? Dominion. What is dominion? It's ruling. What do you need to rule well? You need wisdom. You need maturity. And they are to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man. This is important in his own image. God rules. And he has called us to rule. In so much as the daily things in our life and making disciples, beginning in our own homes, beginning in our own lives. We have to regulate ourselves, come to maturity, so that we teach our kids. Let's be honest, parents. Have you ever been weary trying to teach your children something? Have you ever been tired from the day? How about this? Those of you that have had teenagers or young adults, have you ever felt like you have said it? Over and over again, and you're thinking, like, I do that when they're four or three or two. And, and later on, when they're older, you're saying, I don't understand this. Why are they not getting this? Why aren't they applying all this wisdom I've given them? And we tell them over and over and over again. But the truth is, you and I as even adults are that same way. We need to hear God's word instructed and taught to us and sung amongst ourselves and talked amongst ourselves over and over and over again. But we are called to take dominion, to rule, to grow up into maturity. 
Verse 28 says this, Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What are we to have dominion over? Over every living thing. Um, I'm pretty sure we're not there yet. We're having enough trouble with our own selves, with our own lives, our own families, and it's because we do not take dominion of the church. We don't hear God's word. We've got to do this, hearing God's word. The dominion mandate is fundamental to understanding who God wants us to be every day in our ordinary lives. Back to the matter at hand, the Bible and the disciple. That's you and me. Jesus is the Word, and He was present at creation. Now, you're going to hear me say creation a lot. Because if we're going to understand where we are to start, where we are to go, we have to understand where everything began. Not only was God there speaking, but Jesus Himself was speaking, because we know He is the Word. We see that Jesus was in the beginning. If we look at John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that that was made. That is because Jesus spoke it, spoke all of creation into being. Now here's the next part, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus provides clarity for all of life by his word, which God has so kindly provided us. And this light, it shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now Jesus, he calls us to abide in him, to abide in the word. A lot of times we hear things like this and we think, well, that's a super spiritual thing. I've got to get in some spiritual state. No, to abide in the word is to hear God's word, to sing God's word, to talk about God's word in our ordinary lives, not in some existential spiritual place out there. There's some spiritual place. No, God's word all around us in our ordinary daily lives. Jesus says, then Je- this is in, uh, again in John, it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. We are called to be his disciples. We are to be in his word. He says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Freedom's on the minds of a lot of people right now. But the truth is, in order to be free, you must be wise. How do you get wisdom? You study, you look, you read, and most importantly, you hear God's Word. Hearing, we're going to talk about this in a second, but hearing is submission. Eyes. That is judgment. That is evaluation. But you need to hear and be taught first before you can make right 
evaluations with what you see. And of course, those that were around him, they answered him. They said, they answered him, and we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now, of course, this statement right here is in utter ridiculous nature. We have never been uh, enslaved by someone else. That's crazy. Right at that moment, the Roman Empire is ruling over them. The pagans, the, the godless are ruling over them. And they, and they are so blind. They have so not heard God's word that they don't recognize that when you have wicked leaders that are pushing against God's word, that's a judgment. We're not in bondage, they say. Jesus answered them most assuredly, and what he's saying is, this is the truth. I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin, and the slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus speaks here. He says, abide in me. If you're my disciples, you're, you're going to need to be free. Why are, why are these judgments happening? Because you're sinning. Why are people ruling over you? Because of the sin in your life. But we have freedom through Christ. First through forgiveness and then the call to grow and mature by knowing his word. We have a hard time believing, therefore, that living as being free because we misunderstand the nature of the gospel, the good news. We believe and so live as if we must somehow aspire to perfection. Let me say that again. We believe and so live our daily lives as if we must somehow aspire to perfection. God's grace is not at all about perfection before you come to Christ or after you come to Christ. Let us look at God's word in Ephesians chapter 1. Beginning with verse 3, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now, how, does, how do we get holy and blameless before Him in love? He chose us. And he's doing this in Christ Jesus. It is not you. Sometimes we say, okay, I get grace for the sins I've committed in the past, and now I'm a Christian. I have to be perfect. And if I'm not perfect, God's grace is not my life. No, this word perfect, again, I'm telling you, is striving towards growth and maturity. You come to Christ. He has justified you. Now let us grow up in maturity by hearing God's word and not simply that, but doing God's word. It goes on that God, having predestined us to adoption as his sons by Jesus Christ to himself. It wasn't up to you. He predestined it, and it is by Jesus Christ. According to the good pleasure of his will. His will. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved, that is Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood. Again, it's not of ourselves, it's through the blood of Christ. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us 
in, guess what, look at this, all wisdom and prudence. There is a calling to maturity. If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, you need to be growing and maturing, and you can't do that outside of God's Word. The world is raging with all kinds of ideas, philosophies, and idols. We must be reading, especially reading God's Word aloud. We must be singing God's Word. We must be talking with one another about God's Word, and not just here on Sundays. Again, I'll say this to the day I drop dead. It starts here and it launches out first to each other, the community of Christ, and then to the world. What a blessing. And of course, after all this, after all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, now, I'm going to just pause right there. We've all been through life. We've all gone through struggles and difficulties. And we go, I do not know what God's will is. Isn't that true? We don't know how to negotiate it or deal with it. But the issue is it comes to us through wisdom and prudence by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus. He chose us. And it is according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, not in us, in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. Where is he? When he gave that command to make disciples, he then went straight to the throne room of God and took his rightful place at the right hand of God the Father. He is Lord over all. Again, He first chooses us. Second, He predestines us to adoption by Jesus. He made it clear that it is made known to us in all wisdom and prudence, that is, maturity. God, by His free grace, is not asking us to be perfect, but to be continuously maturing. He holds us to the end. Jesus came as a man and unlike Adam, he was patient. Think about this. Jesus was growing up. He was perfect. He was sinless. And yet, what does God's word say in Luke chapter 2, verse 40? And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. Jesus himself waited he was patient. He didn't grab things prematurely. He waited for God and His plan. And He grew in strength, in spirit, filled with wisdom. The Spirit brings wisdom to take dominion and rule over yourself, and then the land, and then the ends of the earth. The Spirit of God brings maturity. Now, if you're looking at all at your outline, you'll see that the next point is supposed to be Psalm 119. It's not. I thought it would make it too long. So we're doing that one next week. So we want to sing something out of 119. But, but in all seriousness, practically speaking, 
what did God intend for us to do with his word as his disciples? God's word was meant to be heard. I know you've heard me say that already, and you've seen me touch my ears. God's word was meant to be heard. Just think about this for just a moment. For nearly 3,500 years, it was the only option. God spoke to Moses, the prophets, and the apostles. Scribes hand-copied everything until God's word was able to be printed. You see, you know, sometimes we talk about, I've, I've heard this said before, that, you know, we look back and we say, what's going on? Why did the medieval church chain up the Bible in the church? Because books were valuable. It had beautiful artwork. Have you ever seen those medieval Bibles? They're beautiful. Right? They would have been stolen right out of there. They were hard to get. And of course, we hear over and over God saying, hear my word, hear my word. And it was read, if you look at it, for so long, both the people of Israel and the church, they had very limited copies of the scripture. So the synagogues, those first churches, they would get the scrolls and they would read large portions. You know, if, if, if I wasn't worried about the frame of some of our children, I'd say, let's make the lectionary readings longer. Okay? But we are privileged. We have copies of the Bible. But we should still hear it, both here and at home, and the world around us. Not only that, most people, for a long, long time, were illiterate. Why learn to read? Why learn to write? Because there wasn't anything to write on. And here today, we've been blessed with the ability to read and write. And God has given us tools, both not only books, but the Internet, which can be a dangerous thing and a good thing. And even a dangerous thing as it, as it has to do with God's Word. But you ever wonder why we read these portions? Why do we use a lectionary? Because it is so important that every one of us hear God's Word so we can respond to it. That's what our service is about. God speaks, we respond. Ears are the organs of submission. Hearing God's word creates community. All right, I can read out loud to myself, but most people don't do that. Why? Unless you're learning, because it's faster if I just read it silently to myself. But how does hearing God's word create community? If I'm reading out loud with my family, we're together. If we're reading God's word out loud here, we're together. If we are singing God's word at my home, at a men's group, in this church service, we are hearing God's word. We are actually, when we sing, it's probably the, the, the most discipleship and catechizing, if you, if you know what that is, basically teaching all of God's word in, an, in some type of fashion. We're doing that when we sing God's word here and at home. But why are the ears the organ of submission? Because if I'm talking, and Nate, who likes to talk as well, is listening, he has to yield his desire to speak. 
right? And then if I'm going to be honorable to him, I'm going to yield and submit and hear him. And so first of all, there is this, we are submitting to God and we're submitting to the others in the room hearing God's word. Hearing God's word emphasizes the personhood of God. Because it is God's word and he is speaking to us. We are to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But how are we going to learn? How are we going to mature? How are we going to hear what he says? God speaks to his people. God is relational. You cannot close your ears to hearing like you can close your eyes. Again, eyes, that's the organ of evaluation. You can't evaluate things well simply by what you see. Can you? All right, I'm going to throw myself under the bus. I can't tell you how many times as a, as a father of many children, I have walked into a room, looked around, and made all kinds of assumptions about what I'm seeing. Right? I can see my youngest over there grinning. I struggle with this sometimes still. I make assumptions based off of what I think is happening. And I have no clue. What do I need to do? I need to submit myself to hearing someone's explanation about the circumstances. And then I can make a right judgment. Lord willing. But this is really important. When we read by ourselves, as individuals, we're in control. Reading creates isolation. I mean, we like to travel. You know that. We go up and down the highway all the time. Some of my kids can read in the car. Others get motion sick. But those that like to read, it's like all of a sudden they're all in their own world and we're in the car together, but they're doing their thing. That's isolated. It is really important that we recognize that we need to hear God's word. People who never hear God's word read, preached, or sung typically don't get along with others. You think about that now. People who don't get in a place, think about Christians and all the churches you've been in in your life. People who don't get along with others, it's because they're not hearing God's word, they're not singing God's word. What happens? We, ha we are instructed to hear and sing and speak about God's word, and that creates community, not isolation. Our eyes are made for evaluating things. Here's something really important. We learn about persons, both God and everyone in this room and, and people in our community, by listening. Reading can become impersonal. Think about this. Think about emails and texts. How does that work out? If you have something really important you need to say, it's much better to do it in person where you can listen and hear them. Have you ever been involved in a misunderstanding through an email? Through a text message? 
If it's important, talk to people. The same thing happens when we simply read God's Word. And I'm not discouraging you from reading God's Word. We need to do that as well. But it is important that we recognize that we need to hear God's Word. It is the way God intended these writings to be taken in. If we don't hear God's Word, we easily forget the personhood of God. Now I'm going to quote... Jim Jordan here, he's one of my favorite scholars as it relates to God's Word. And he says, he says this, we, because if we don't hear God's Word, we easily forget the personhood of God. He says this, that's why scholarship is dangerous. That's why seminaries are dangerous. That's why an academic approach to the Bible can be dangerous. It is silent. And then the Bible, instead of being the words of the living God, becomes a thing, something that we analyze. Now, it's okay to analyze and study the Bible, but we need to be aware that it can become a thing instead of the voice of God in our life. We are to have a personal relationship with God, not just ideas about God. That's the danger of just me and my Bible. God becomes a philosophy, a group of ideas. But when we hear God's Word preached and sung and talked about, not just here on Sunday, but throughout our week, we are challenged to evaluate it as the words of God. And someone might say, well, what if, what if I'm being taught by someone and they teach me wrongly? You don't think that you might evaluate God's Word wrongly? We are much better together because as we look at God's Word, we look at it together, we talk about it together, and we tweak and adjust and help all, it helps all of us in the service of the Lord actually being disciples. Again, let us remember that in order to get wisdom, we need to hear, we need to learn. When the Bible was written, God had guides in mind, teachers and preachers. They don't have absolute authority, but they can guide us. As it relates to discipling others, I want to say this. You don't have to be an expert in God's Word. You should be growing, studying it, hearing it, trying to apply it in your life. And discipleship is being in other people's lives and singing God's Word and talking about God's Word and living your ordinary life doing those things. The Bible was not written for you to read simply by yourself. It was written for you to hear in community, hearing it with other people. Not just an expert, but maybe someone that's just a little farther along. Let us come towards the end here with several passages of Scripture I want us to think about. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, it says this, Therefore do not be unwise. That word there, immature. But understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dis, uh, dispensation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. That's hearing. 
God's word, that's singing it, that's speaking it, and that's submitting in community. Also in Colossians chapter 3, it says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Again, we're growing in wisdom and maturity. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now it's very interesting that in both these passages, do you know what comes after this? Instructions about how to get along with each other. He outlines family instruction, community instruction, how to get along. Right after he says, grow in wisdom, sing God's word, speak to one another, do it unto the Lord. Liberalism comes from people studying the Bible at universities. Now I'm not going to just beat up universities here because there are a few places where God is still the central thing. But why does this happen? Because if you study God's word as a thing, it's impersonal. Those folks don't care about the Lord's table or their baptism. They're not with ordinary folks. The most ordinary person in the room occasionally will have an insight that we all need to hear. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, with that, I want to say two things. One, we realize, again, think about how does this work out in our ordinary life. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's a clear outline. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to come back to this illustration about hearing from the ordinary. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today. So remember, let's think back to the original thing. Go and make disciples, baptize, teaching them all I have commanded. He says, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's every part of your life. Wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, there should be conversation about God's Word. And I'm a realist, and so is God. God knows that you have responsibilities. I know we have college students and students in school and people with jobs. But... We need to be speaking to the body, speaking to each other God's word, hearing it, singing it. And here's the thing. Lastly, just as we consider, can I really learn from everybody else? How much, how much higher than someone else do I need to be in order to disciple them and teach God's commandments? Again, I'm going to refer to a quick story that Jim Jordan tells about himself. All right, again, I'm going to tell you, Jim Jordan has an uncanny ability to connect the dots. I've sat under many of his classes, and I can tell you almost every single time I came out of his classes, I walked away saying, I don't know anything, right? I, I, I don't know how he figured this out, how he sees this. And again, he's not perfect. He doesn't get everything in the world right. 
but he's got a good handle on it. And he tells this story. He was doing a teaching at a church one time on clean animals. Unclean animals have no shoes, therefore they crawl on the ground and eat dust and eat carrion and dead things. And so he makes this statement, he goes to the class, and afterwards they're just kind of milling around, and a 10-year-old girl comes up to him and says this, man's made of, of dust, right? And he says, yes, of course. And the little 10-year-old girl says, doesn't the serpent eat dust? Does the serpent eat men? And here, this great theologian, great student of God's word, had never considered that application before. Think about 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because, you, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We either get in the body of Christ or in the body of the serpent, Satan. God uses the whole body of Christ to give understanding to his people when we hear God's word. Today we need to speak, discuss, and sing God's word, the Bible, with one another, knowing it is the words of the living triune God to each of us and to all of us. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you praise today. We thank you for your word. I pray every one of us would hear your word, submit ourselves to it, and then go and be doers of your word. We thank you for your faithfulness to us and that you keep us to the very end of the age. In Jesus' name, amen.